five, scores! Rick Five. We've decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Five. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome, everyone. Episode 106 of the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs Fan. Joining me as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, how are we keeping, my man? Oh, uh, I had to run errands today. My wife's downtown at the distillery section of Toronto, uh, where the Christmas market is with uh, grandkids and daughter-in-law. And... Oh, well. Yeah, so how did you, get, how did you get out of that? I hope she didn't, I hope she didn't take her credit card. <laughs> Well, you know what? You'll you'll learn you'll learn fast enough, okay? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, well, Squid, guess what? Our guest today was taken in 1986 draft by the Pittsburgh Penguins, a guy you're very familiar with. Enjoyed a 22 year pro career both in North America and Europe. Had the distinction, which you'll hear about, of playing for four NHL teams in one season. And stay and today still plays lots of alumni games across the country with you. Please welcome Dave McElane. Um, Dave, first off, thanks for joining us. And how you keeping? Hey, my hey, you know what? One of those one of those teams that year was me with me in Buffalo. That's correct. Yeah, that was a. I get two weeks there, and uh, Squid <laughs> say, "Get this guy out of here." Oh, <laughs> good to see you guys. <laughs> hey, uh, so so Dave, besides playing alumni games, how you keeping busy these days? Uh, I still um, have a. I work for a company in Toronto. We deal with uh, security security guards so we look for manpower different contracts with uh whether it's malls construction sites uh c- condos wherever they wherever they need some uh, security so i've been doing that for the last eight or nine years and uh we have a gravel business back here in in seaforth i'm in grand bend but uh, it's about 30 minutes away my dad's had the business for years and uh my brother and i are kind of helping him out now as he's uh got a little older fantastic well, you mentioned you gave us a good lead and a good segue into you were born in Seaforth, Ontario, which I must admit I had to look up. Now, you know, it's I knew it located in southern Ontario, but yeah. it wasn't quite. Now, Squid, would you laugh at it? I'm sure you weren't sure either. Okay. So I, I, I knew me. where it was. I knew you've where been, it was. You've been through it a couple times, I think, on the way to Goddard, Squid. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, wait, speak to growing up in the area and playing hockey. Well, yeah, I think. Uh, it, it is a small town, but if you look up other guys that uh, have come from there, there's probably seven or eight guys that have come out of there since uh, I did in 87, you know, my first year pro. Like, there's there's many guys, uh, Rem Murray, Boyd Devereaux, uh, Mike Watt, uh, Pat Murray, uh, the O'Reilly boys started, uh, Cal and and Ryan uh, both started in Seaforth and many there's many others in the area they actually come up with a book of all the players out of Huron County is where we're we're actually located but I think it's like any small town kid you played hockey from uh, pretty much when you come out of the womb there was a stick in your hand and whether it was mini sticks or or getting on the ice or road hockey which you don't see a lot of today we did that all the time and I think I was very fortunate because our house where we lived, the arena was maybe a block away. Um, oh. And I spent so many days there or hanging around with my dad and and his team would be playing, having some beers after the game, of course. And we would be out running around on the ice in our boots or whatever it was just to, to be out there. So it was always a bit of a rink rat when uh, growing up or... Looking for some ice, whether it's outdoor or anytime. You were always yeah. playing for, I don't know how, uh, that's kind of what we did back then. It's great. Uh, Dave, growing up uh, in a small town like that, obviously I did as well. Maybe not quite as small as yours. <laughs> um, but did you play for the Grey Bruce uh, Highlanders or whatever they were called? Well, they were, uh, back when I was in the minor hockey, we didn't really have the AAA system that they have now. And I think it was the, if I would have, uh, played it would have been like the urine perth lakers um i think mm-hmm. they grab a certain district and take the top players with godridge up to palmerston to strafford to exeter area and that's that wasn't really around when i was here so i played at a level it was 
they called it double C and it kind of went by the size of your um, population. And we, yeah. the farthest we traveled, I think was maybe 25 minutes away. It was the Mitchell Wingham uh, Clinton. And, and that was it. You knew those guys family by the time you were done. Well, it's um, funny, so it's that, funny you mentioned that because I don't think a lot of people realize like when I was in Charlottetown playing, you know, my biggest years of my minor hockey, there was no, a double a or triple a i mean there was the house league and then you tried out for the travel team and if exactly you, made it, you you would travel and that that was kind of the way it was like there was no a double a and triple a back then yeah so when you play like what would it level was it out there because you had a bigger center well it was it would just be like regular peewee was 11 and 12, but if you were nine or 10, which I was in Amherst and I was able to make the peewee team, you could play at nine years old. Yeah. And yeah, we did the same. Yeah. So what you would do out. is they would go visit other places in, in the Maritimes for a weekend and play two games. And then maybe they, that other team would come and visit you later on in the season. Right. And right. then when it came down to the playoffs, you played in the provincial playdowns and then, uh the atlantic canada yeah yeah we weren't able to get that far like it was either just uh western ontario it was kind of and you'd play in the omha also but at our level mm -hmm. of populations kind of what we competed against and there was always some good teams we just didn't have a lot of players you usually could barely put three lines together just from small communities so mm -hmm. there's there was a lot of ice time to go around and then if you play like you said i was able to play up a couple uh levels and then when i was 14 i don't know 14 or 15 i ended up we have a junior d team which is the size of the population and and started playing with playing in that when i i had to be 15 16 i think at that yeah so that's i was going to ask about the c for centurions uh cent no centenaries centenaries yeah 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 and that oh, now and it oh that's the that's the centennial so that was in north bay that's north bay that was yeah. next so that's where we were leading to getting. So how did you end up in North Bay? Well, uh, I was Kitchener I, first, by the way. Pardon me. You went through Kitchener first. obviously. Yeah. Well, I was uh, kind of a story. I was never drafted because of our centers. We never really had the scouts uh, come to watch us. And um, that's that year after junior D I was planning to play junior B in St. Mary's. And, uh, but it started at the draft. It's kind of a bit of a funny story. I always tell it. So we went to the draft, midget draft in Ontario for the major junior A. I got invited. Guelph said, we're going to draft you in this in the seventh round. And there was this other kid that we competed against each other. Dave Hawkins out of Durham. Every year we were against each other. So it comes to the draft, seventh round, Guelph, Guelph's uh, turn to come. Uh, sitting there waiting. All of a sudden, they take this Dave Hopkins. So I'm just like, okay, maybe I'm going the eighth round, ninth round. Back then they had like 18 rounds. So I ended up sitting through the whole draft and never got drafted. It was the worst day ever. Um, Monday comes around and we get a call from uh, Kitchener Rangers. Said, Dave, we see you weren't picked up. We'd like to invite you to camp. And, and of course, uh, you know, we said, sure. But it was, I can't remember if Guelph, Guelph ended up calling and invited us to camp. And my dad just told him, you know what, you can go, you know, fly a kite, basically. He was pretty, <laughs> he was pretty pissed off, and as, as I was. So the whole, the whole plan was to play Junior B. So I went to uh, the Rangers camp, uh, did the whole two-day, 48 hours in case I was thinking of college. Who knew? I didn't know what was going on. And so I picked up my bag, and I was walking out of the rink, and the coach looks, he's like, uh, his name was Tom Barrett at the time. And he said, uh, where are you going? And we just sat down. He took us in and explained it. And he said, you got a good chance of making this team. So took the bag back in and unloaded it. And the rest was uh, history. Ended up making the team in Kitchener. And and uh, that year, I, I was – I come in, so there was some ice time. They had went to the Memorial Cup before. The, the year before, it was in Kitchener. Um, I think Ottawa won it. Played some hot – like I was – third fourth line 13 goals didn't get a lot of ice but that was my draft year and once again i never got drafted because i was under the radar they didn't know who i was coming out of a small town so the next year it started uh 
few games in October, and all of a sudden uh, it was like a three-for-four deal, Kitchener and North Bay. Uh, had to meet North Bay in, in Hamilton, and then lo and behold, we're back in Kitchener the next night with my new team. It was just oh, first trade. You didn't know what was going on. So that night we went out with our, our – because we were going to pack up and leave Saturday to go back to North Bay. Well, I'm with the two guys who get traded. No one wants to leave. Kitchener's a great place to play, and North Bay seems so far away, four hours. Um, so we go home, and we're at my billet's place, and we call And a lot home. colder. A lot colder. <laughs> a lot colder, yes. So we ended up calling the coach, and and uh, he answers, and we're – we ended up hanging up. We're like, we didn't, we didn't want to go. We wanted to tell him we didn't want to go, but we played two games already. Anyway, Saturday, we ended up going up there. It was probably the best thing that, uh, that happened to me for uh, well, my career. But think about this. Now, you're playing, now, when you're playing for Seaforth, we won't even attempt to butcher the name again. You're playing OHAD, Junior D. Yeah. That has to be the equivalent of, would say, what, minor midget, AAA? Uh, there were some pretty good teams. Like you get in these small towns, it's just where some of these guys played, you know, so they, you, and Rick knows you go to some tournaments and you get some guys that, uh, can, are decent hockey players. They just never wanted to, or the opportunity maybe wasn't there, but they could all play. So I was playing against, I remember my one, I was young and the guy was 20. He had a kid married, you know, and I'm just trying to figure it all out and, uh, <laughs> local, local town. Like that's, no, where I'm going with that is, okay, so you're playing in a small town, OHA Junior D, and you're playing against guys older and your same age, so it's at least the equivalent of, like, a triple-A team. Oh, yeah, yeah. You score 42 goals in 33 games, and you have 36 assists, 78 points in 33 games. I would suspect you should get drafted. Yeah, well, it just didn't happen. For some reason, uh, I think scouts had told us that um, – Hey, well, Dave, it's just like the Easter Seals tournament. Say – they don't do their pre-scouting because they don't know you're the fastest guy of all of us. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, um, I guess one scout had said, he just said, you know what? Why do we want to go and watch one guy in a small town in a team where we can go to the city and we can see like 30 guys? So yeah. that was kind of their philosophy. But after I came out, it, it, it sure opened up uh, some eyes for some people and ended up, you know, like the rest of the guys, not that they could have done it on their own, but I think people started taking notice of, uh, of Seaforth and the, and the kids that have been come out of there. You know, so, I think, I think that that was, a, I, I like that what you just said there, because it, it did bring attention to the scouts in the OHL that, Hey, there are places in Ontario where that, that have good hockey players, but they're small communities and we need to go and start looking at that. Right. But the thing what changed, Rick, though, is is that AAA start came in, though, like the Lakers, where they took the top mm -hmm. players. So those teams were getting recognized. If you I pro, maybe would have went and played on that if possible. Maybe my dad wouldn't. I don't know. But uh, there's a lot of traveling with that when you play in these small cities and have to go to. But they would have been in the big tournaments where all the where the scouts are. So. So now talk about your, your finally get settled in North Bay, your draft year, when you finally do get drafted. Leading up to that, did you get in any inquiries from teams that may take you? Uh, my draft year, no. I just kind of was, I was just kind of always under the radar. And I was like, oh, I, I played junior A. I, you know, a midget, I'm like, I don't know if I can play or not. So then you get in there and you start playing, you're okay. Then I get up to North Bay and I had 70 points or did okay. And all of a sudden, third year I get there. Um, so after North Bay, uh, Bert Templeton was my coach and, uh, he was really, you know, he, I think he made some calls and said, you know, this guy has, has potential to play. And then, uh, the next year I was second in the OHL scoring and, and Bert took me to the world junior, which really helped. And all of a sudden you go from junior D and two or three years later, you're playing in the world junior, which, um, if I thought about it all the time, maybe it wouldn't have happened, but uh, it just kind of went, all right, let's go and let's go to this one. And then you just kind of easy ozy through where the, I didn't have a lot of pressure to, to accelerate or have that when you were 11 or 12. Well, we're going to get to the world junior and that you obviously picked one to go there, go to for the ages. And you maybe <laughs> oh, want yeah. to talk about that one, being a part of that whole scenario. Yeah. It's, it's kind of one, like when we do all these tournaments, it's one story that, people always ask you about and yeah. you know that they 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 turn the lights out right well 
they did turn the lights out, but you could kind of see out there, but they didn't know how to stop it. I think these are the five guys are starting, and it kind of pans out, and you start seeing the benches come out there. So that's uh, number six. That was Jason or Huffman. And Mike Keane's out there. Theo Fleury, Everett Senapass started it. They were on the ice. I shouldn't say they started it, but they were they were out there. There's Mike Keane on the fight in there. Steve that Chase was- on number four. Yeah. So Sean Simpson was in that. What were the players saying on the bench while this was all going on? Were you well, guys- I was kind of right by their bench, and they're just waiting, and all of a sudden two Russian guys, from what I remember, I was right there. They jumped over the boards and they took off. I don't know who it was. There, there you can see guys starting to come, obviously. And uh, once their guys went, our guys took off too. So, <laughs> like, what, what, like, you know, it looked to me like the Russians were playing almost like they were trying to entice you guys into this because they were playing basically for nothing. Yeah, and they you guys. Did you guys sense win. all this? Uh, who knows, right? Like, I ended up talking to some of the guys, like. McGillney was there and uh, Konstantinov, uh, Davidoff. I played with him in Winnipeg or Ottawa. And no one really planned. I think Jay didn't realize what happened and just they were taking off and, and going out there. So we had we had to win by five or six goals. It was a round robin tournament, not like uh, it is today. Um, so we had to win by five goals. I think we were up, I don't know, what was it, 6-1 or yeah. we, we were on our way. It was only halfway your way. Through the second period. So um, we had a good opportunity to win the gold medal, but uh, we didn't, you know, and then this is started separating all this and then it started up again. Some guys got going around <laughs> at each other and sure enough, it started, started up again for another 10 or 15 minutes. Finally, we got into the dressing rooms and we had to sit there. I remember Greg Hoggins nose was over here and, he got head butted up from the bottom and uh, some guys were beat up pretty good. And we just saw, we didn't know what was going on. And all of a sudden uh, they come in, I guess the IHF had a meeting because it was kind of, it was the last game and they just decided uh, we're going to s- kick everybody out. You're suspended. The, the games are suspended. They called in the army. I just remember walking out to our bus in a line with the, the military and another line to their bus right beside us. We got on the bus right beside each other. We're looking at them. They're looking at us and, and then we had a, an escort right out of right out of the country, right to uh, the Austrian border, and we were flying out of Vienna the next the next morning. We were supposed to go to a banquet. Some guys were getting some awards, but uh, that never happened. It was a, a direct a pass directly out of the country. What were you guys? <laughs> what were the players all saying? Like you guys were just must have been in shock. Uh, yeah, I was just kind of in shock, and no one really knew what to think, and we didn't know. Obviously, no social media or the the access no. to what was going on back home. We didn't know what the country was feeling like. And then we showed up at the airport and uh, a lot of families were there. Billets, some guys were taken off of West. And uh, it, was, it was a good reception, I guess. But, you know, and obviously Don Cherry was in our corner and, and there was a big uproar about that with him and... Uh, Brian Williams. Brian Williams, yes. Yes, so... It was, what a lot of people don't know either is we ended up getting medals from Harold Ballard. Um, obviously, I'm sure. Oh, that's there. right. That's, and that's right. They were personalized medals. They're probably nicer than the ones we would have got from the World Junior. Personalized number each guy, and uh, it was pretty special. And yeah, it's not the real one, but it was a, a tournament that uh, I guess won't be forgotten. Well, that would, be Her- that would be Harold that would give you guys medals because you beat up the Russians. He and didn't he like hated the, the Russians. Russians. Yeah. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> Anytime I think Harold that was, the was that before one of our games in Toronto? Uh, I think, you know what, I think some guys did that were close by. I couldn't make it because I was in North Bay. Um, but some guys I, I vaguely remember that were there. Um, I think Ivan Korobo, he was playing with the Marlies at the time, and so he would have been close. Guelph guys maybe come in. I, I forget exactly. Yeah. The uh, Now, I got to ask you one question about North Bay. Did you play with Kevin White? Uh, no. No, I didn't. How old would he be? My age? Um, gosh, I don't know. Probably in his 40s. Yeah. He, I was probably gone by then. I don't remember that name I yeah it might have been after that i'm not sure well actually he got drafted by windsor he played in windsor 
Yeah, I was there uh, like '86. He was maybe. there when uh, uh, Graves and uh, Smith. Adam Graves. Adam Graves and no, maybe uh, Motor City Smitty. Motor City Smitty and. Well, no, so that would have been that would have been after you then. Yeah, yeah, or before. I, I don't know. Can't remember. I doesn't <laughs> ring a bell. <laughs> so, I, Dave, talk about your first pro camp. Oh, first pro camp. I, uh, well, we, you know, we usually go in. I know I was going back. My ticket was already uh, set, but I just remember going in and, you know, Mario was there and he was the up and coming star, obviously. And, uh, you know, I, I do remember a story I walked in and I tell, we see Ron Dugay at different spots and he had just come to Pittsburgh for a tryout. I think he played that year. But I walked in, I'm like, man, this guy's cool. He's got the baby blue uh, khaki <laughs> pants or baby blue uh, pants on and the pink polo shirt. And he's in there with the hair. And obviously, Viber knows the, the luck he always had. And I was just like, wow, this guy's the coolest thing. And uh, yeah, training camp was hard. Everything, you know, you're with a lot of younger guys. And that year I left. Um, next year, uh, I didn't know how it was going to go other than I went to, when I passed at the border, I drove down and uh, my visa was to make more than 50 grand. So you're probably going to be in the, I didn't realize this. And the other guy who was with me was Brad Aiken and he was on a different visa. So he knew he was going to the minors before he even, even uh, got to camp, which is kind of tough to take. But uh, anyways, that was, camp was tough. I remember and just trying to get my game on and I got to Pittsburgh after a, you know, a big offensive year in, in the OHL, but it's kind of put in a role of uh, third line checking kind of, we had Mario, Dan Quinn. So there wasn't a lot of room for or ice time when, uh, you know, Mario <laughs> you, those yeah, yeah. you know, and obviously he's going to swallow up a lot of that center ice time, which was, I should have come in. 30 minutes, probably 30 out of 60. <laughs> yeah. And you know, all of a sudden it's your line and then he's up and he's coming off and your guys are just coming off. It's like, Oh, there goes another lot of shift. But I, I wasn't able to tell him to get off the ice. So. Well, you weren't getting a lot of power play minutes. Yeah, yeah. Not a lot of power play minutes with that lineup. No, no. I never really got many power play minutes there at all. It's always penalty killing. Well, Mario, okay, so you, you you walk into him, you've heard all about him, you see him. What was it him that made him so special when you saw him on the ice finally up and close and personal? Yeah, so this, the second camp was the year I was done junior. Could have went to overage, but I didn't. It was the Canada Cup year. So he was. we were all waiting a camp for him to come back from uh, 87 Canada Cup. And, you know, just the aura, he just was, he carried himself like, he was good. He was confident. wasn't cocky, but he was confident. Um, and you could just see, like, on the ice how he skated. And, and I said this, and Rick can justify or verify this, that he's probably one of the fastest guys that I played with. You wouldn't see it. You wouldn't think it. Um, but when you do laps or skating at the end yeah. of practice and try to keep up with him, and I thought I was pretty fast, yes. he was effortless. Like, long strides. Like, his legs were like giraffe legs, but he was, and he was very underrated that way. I thought you never heard about his speed. You always heard about his hands. He seemed lazy, but it was just kind of, I think he could skate effortlessly and people thought it was being lazy or whatever, but my legs would be going a hundred miles an hour and his would just be like long strides, but twice. Well, when, you're, when you're six foot six or seven and you got those long legs, it sometimes seems like they're not moving, but they're flying. Right, exactly. Like it's uh, people didn't think that, and he was just well, Frank Mahalovich. Frank Mahalovich yeah. was the same thing. They they yeah. always accused him of not working hard enough. It was just that was the way his body went. Yeah, yeah. And I and remember was... Mario's first year when he came into the league. We uh, they didn't make the playoffs, so we went. I was at the World Championships in uh, Czechoslovakia, I believe it was. And he wanted to go home. He was homesick. And we convinced, we convinced him to stay, and he ended up winning the tournament and scoring. And so, so that's how good Mario Lemieux was, I'll tell you. Yeah. Like, there was times I was on the bench, and, and he would do something. It was almost like you're a fan. You just wanted to stand up and clap. Like, it was, it was, it was so good. And then you're kind of like, oh, yeah, we're on the, 
we're on the bench here, but it was just sometimes he was at another level. And he was one guy that I always talk about with if he could play in today's game. And I know you can't cross them over, and each era was each era, and this was different. This is but him in today's game, and without the hooking and holding, and I'm sure there's a lot of guys that maybe yeah. would have did that, but him. Because I just saw what he did with three guys on his back. Imagine if he had nobody on his back, right? Like he was, you know, hook and hold. That was like Viber knows that. It's a, and there's many guys like probably did that. Pat LaFontaine or different guys that were really good that would have benefited. He did amazing, obviously. If, and, and if he was healthy, uh, I think he would have had crazy numbers too. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, uh, you know, especially the difference in the games. I mean, I don't think you can really compare them. Right. But you look at the different eras and, you know, our era where, well, I don't know, you probably worked out more than, than most of us, but, uh, you know, we would work out a little bit during the summer, not a whole lot. Yeah. And, you know, now it's an 11 month a year job. I mean, they take yeah. maybe a month off and then they're right back at it. Uh, the equipment is much different today, obviously. So I, you know what, I think when you're looking at the top players and guys just can score goals and that, I think they all equal out pretty much. Yeah. And they you probably know, they would have scored then. Now, if you're right, it's, it's the, because the, don't forget the goalies are better. The equipment is yeah. a lot bigger. Yeah. So it kind so, of balances probably a good way to think about it. And uh, yeah. So Dave, for you, your first year in the league, what was the biggest adjustment you had to make from junior to play at the national hockey league level? Well, I think it's, it was the, uh, the everyday, um yeah and junior played every day but it was it was tough and guys were bigger stronger uh, i think the game is was played the same you just gotta everything happened quicker um faster the level was just up and you didn't have maybe a bad line there just seemed to be better players on the ice all the time you get the odd back then we'd have the fourth line where there were some fighters on it but uh Normally they could hold their own and, and do their, their part. But I think it was the cons trying to get the consistency of it's a, it's a job and you got to take every shift. You couldn't take time off. Uh, you had to be ready. You couldn't, you know, if you messed up or something, you're sitting out or it's, and maybe ice time, you know, you come from junior, you're out every shift, every yep. other shift and power play penalty. So you just had to adjust that way, adjust your game a little bit. Um, be be more aware. So it was learning the first year. I don't think I scored to like the eleventh eleventh game uh, when I did. So it was getting a little frustrating. She used to score yeah. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but you're like sixty six guy. How hard was it for guys back then? You know that had prolific junior seasons and, and careers, but you have to adjust to a completely different role. How hard was that to? to to transition to that well yeah it's it was difficult because you're used to doing this one play or like you i was kind of known as i could play both ends of the ice but you had that offensive part so it's trying to find that balance where i had to go out and usually you're playing against the top first or second line and you're kind of aware you got to watch them and you kind of put your offensive game back a little bit which is which is hard you got to be very aware defensively um i think a good third line guy or fourth are able to contribute both ways you just have to be you can't take the chances like a first line center or a second line center that you know they're going back out there that's not my job but uh, you really want to do it when you score it all the time so then you get put in that role in the nhl it's like oh he's a checker well if you look at the other stat, you could play. So whenever time I got put in that situation, I could, I could usually score. Like it was, you know, I went to the minors a little bit, ended up, you know, we won the Turner cup there, but scored a lot of goals, but you go to Pittsburgh and all of a sudden you're back in the check and roll. So it's kind of hard to yeah, just boy. kind of play. That's the way it was. That's you just, I, I am so glad I didn't have to go through that transition. <laughs> yeah. Well, minors. Oh, we, the, we, the offensive. Listen, we've talked about this a lot in the show about how guys like one of the biggest things for hockey players coming up is star player all the way up. Regardless of coming from a small town, you're always probably one of the highlight players on your team. You get to junior, you're a star player. You arrive at that first NHL camp and you walk in that room and every guy in the room has got the same numbers as you do. 
Yeah. And all of a sudden you're not the only guy. Like everybody else has done exactly what you've done to get there. So the guy that can separate himself from the pack and establish himself is the real mental challenge. Wouldn't you agree? I would say so. And, and, uh, maybe it worked out better that I was able to get in that defensive role. And, and if you, because I said in Pittsburgh, the offensive part was pretty, uh, nice time was eaten up by Mario and Danny Quinn was there and those guys were putting up good numbers. And, uh, so you just kind of had to find your role and, you know, you don't think you're ever going to get traded, but I did two years later and, and uh, kind of got put in a, a role where I could do more offensively and uh, was able to score and still didn't play a lot of power play, but I played a lot. So I think that helps and the confidence and kind of gets you back to like, oh, yeah, maybe. Oh, yeah, I still could score. You're OK. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was it was good that I went there and was able to. Uh, get in that role still kind of a third line center but uh pk all the time and uh regular shift so it did help well was there a point where you're coming in pittsburgh like you're up and down back and forth with the i in the national hockey league a few times were you getting a little bit frustrated because you weren't getting that full-time regular role then so maybe the trade was a better thing for you because let's face it danny quinn and uh mary lemieux aren't going anywhere right um i i didn't ask for anything i think it was uh the second year I get, it was funny. The first year I was in the NHL pretty much the whole year. Um, and then the second year I go back to camp thinking, okay, I'm going to move up the ladder here a week in camp. And I was gone to the minors. I was still on a two week and you're, they got Esposito come in and Gene Ubriaco and they had their own guys already. So I was still on a two way able to go to the minors. And that's where I was up and down all year. Had a really good year down there. We won the Turner cup, great playoffs. And then obviously as a young kid, you don't realize how many scouts are there watching the minor leagues to make trades to try to find those different guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, was, that, was that the so Chicago Wolves? Was John Anderson there? No, I was with Muskegon. Uh, we had oh. Uh, oh, okay. actually DJ McDonald was our coach that year, and uh, uh, yeah, we just had we had Mark Recky was there, Kevin Stevens. Uh, like just really good players and good goalie. Frank Peter Angelo was our goalie, and um, mm-hmm. and we had a mix. Some guys were Pittsburgh farm team or under contract, and that's when they had some just Muskegon guys. Jock Callender, right? Like Jock was a legendary yeah. IHL, and and uh, you know we just had a good team. Like I said, other teams are watching, and it was just it was hard that mentally that year because. You play well, and BJ always said, just be the best player down here because they phone and they ask who's the best player, who's playing the best. So you bring him up. But then the problem is you get brought up, you get three shifts a game, like, hey, you didn't do anything. We're going to send you back down. You know? <laughs> well, what do you want me to do in three shifts? I just get my feet wet. So that that part was tough with that, you know. And But anyway, that's, that's part of hockey. Every guy's got a, a sad story, whatever you want to call it. Well, it's funny you bring that up because I do remember, uh, like, we only dressed 19 when I first started playing. So there was two extra forwards. Well, if a forward went down, they'd call up the best player on the American League team or the leading scorer, which usually was Bruce Boudreaux. Well, he'd have to play with those two guys. And both of those guys were usually tough guys that weren't that talented. So he'd play nine games, get three points or two points, and they go, well, you didn't produce, you're going back down. Well, what the heck is he supposed to do? I mean, you know. Exactly. And then it transitions. You look at today's game. If a top six forward goes out, they bring up a top six forward. Yep, if a right. bottom six forward comes up, goes down, they bring up a guy that's used to playing that role from the minor league yeah. team. Yeah. Things have switched quite a bit, but that was the case back then. You're right. Yeah, they put you in a, in a role to succeed, I think, now. That's uh, yeah. that's correct. Yeah. That's yeah, in the old days, you had to prove yourself to earn the spot, and today they put you – and so you're almost put in a position that you're going to fail. Right. And then they're going to say you're going to respond, whereas today they put in a position to succeed. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's you your, yours to lose if you, if you do, right? Like that's – Yeah. So. Well, I mean, we've talked about Gabby. I mean, when they were going through that struggle, that line, remember when it was McDonald, Sittler, and uh, Thompson, and all of a sudden, what if Gabby been put in there when they are having trouble that been putting that line together? What if he'd been put with McDonald and Thompson? You know, right. who knows what could have happened? Yeah. Yeah. You know, life could have changed for both. I mean, Sittler's True. a good player. He's obviously going to produce, but how do you know life doesn't change? They've said that one opportunity. So that's back in those days. Well, Squid used to see it all the time, and you, you were – 
you talked about Dave, the two-way contract squid, you know, he, that drove him crazy because that used to just cost guys all the time. And that, you know, poor guys got sent down because they could get sent down. Right. For sure. That's, and yeah. even now he's a, uh, he can clear through waivers, so he goes a little different that way, but two-way. Yeah, and it was a big, big deal there because it was a big difference in pay at that time. Now I think guys are making great money, even though they're in the minors. So, um, is it that? Yeah, yeah. It's, you never like getting sent down, no matter what. That was kind yeah, of yeah. No, exactly. I mean, although the one time I did go down was I wasn't playing in Buffalo when Muckler took over for. Uh, 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 Rick uh, Dudley, and so three months I didn't play. So I, I went to Jerry Me and I said, "Send me to Rochester at the at the deadline because Tampa and Ottawa were coming in the next year, and I figured I, I need to play." So anyway, it was a it was a it was I had a great time in Rochester. We went to the semifinals. It took me a week or two to get into it, the flow, uh, but finally I did, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, there's not the pressure. Yeah, it was fun in the minors, but it's not kind of like where you wanted to be. You wanted to work to get out of there. So that was kind of a bit of motivation. Well, Dave, yeah, well, I was on a one way, so I just said, send me down. I got a play. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you got a one way contract, Squid. That's a little different. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I eventually did get one. Like, I think my well second contract. So it was a little bit of relief that way. But now, Dave, the question you get asked all the time, 1991-92, very memorable one for you. Mm -hmm. I you in a crazy record books with three other guys, by the way. You weren't the only one. There's three other guys that have done this too. Walk us through that crazy season. Just, just to verify that, I'm the only guy that played in every division. Those other guys played. Oh, uh, wow. that's, even, that's even better. But mine was every division. I went from the Smite to the Adams to the Patrick to the Norris. <laughs> so that, that, that is, is the, the record. That is the record. But yeah, it was, it was, yeah, I don't know. I started my third year in Winnipeg and I thought it went, it was going well. I had goal assists three games and we're off to San Jose and uh, come in after warm up. And the trainer's like, uh, Mac, you're, you're not going to play tonight. You're, you're not dressing. I'm like, what? What happened? So obviously the rumors start because you're regular and uh, sat in the press box all night. People are talking, uh, Chicago, this and that. Then I got a phone call at seven in the morning. And it was a, it was the GM, and he said, yeah, we've traded you to uh, Buffalo, but uh, you got to meet them in uh, in uh, Quebec City. So I went all the way down to San Jose, all the way back over to Ottawa with Gord Donnelly <laughs> and uh, met the team in Quebec. And I remember having – I had a penalty shot the first game there, and uh, it was just like an awkward game, like different gloves, new pants, and new teammates. And it was just like a whirlwind trying to get in there. I remember hitting the post. I can't remember who the goalie was. Cloutier, maybe? If, yeah. Uh, maybe. Anyway, and then uh, ended up there for a couple of weeks. And, geez, you can dig some pictures out here. I, I just, yeah, that's Glenn see. Dreyfus. He does an unbelievable job finding yeah, the stuff. Yeah, I don't see a lot in a Sabre. They had to be quick to get me in a Sabre uniform. <laughs> I was there two weeks. Um, yeah, then uh, I got to Buffalo, and and uh, two weeks in, and the, my car, my furniture, everything was showing up. Signed the lease Thursday night. Go to practice uh, Friday. Going out there, and all of a sudden I see Benny Hogue walking in and Uwe Krupp coming back in, and I'm just about out, and Muckler says, hey, uh, Dave, just sit down here for a minute. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? So I sit there, I go in and go, yeah, we're trading you the Islanders. So I was back on the – the lady ripped up my lease for me, and uh, the furniture just kept going down the turnpike to Long Island. And, and – uh, get to the long island and there was like five we'd set how many guys two from chicago uh adam great adam creighton and um stevie thomas got traded the same day and four of us from buffalo so there was like six guys in the in the lineup the next saturday night and it was just a whirlwind and, and of course they're telling you well you went to buffalo to go to the island who knows whatever it was and Ended up in the island, uh, 52 games. It was okay, but it was kind of sat out a couple games. And then Ken Baumgartner ended up getting in a fight with Al Arbor. He put him out at the end of the game. And Bomber hadn't played a shift, and he gets fights Dave Brown and breaks his orbital bone. Well, he's pissed, obviously, that, that he did that to him. So then he wants traded. 
I'll, I'll say it quick. The trade with from the Islanders to Toronto. So I'm at home. We have a game that night. It's quarter to three, and my roommate was Jeff Finley. And and uh, Don Maloney phoned. He says, uh, "Dave, we've uh, we've traded. We need to get a hold of Finn uh, Jeff. He's in the in the lineup." Uh, we've made a trade today. Um, so I'm thinking, okay, someone else. And then he's like, well, by the way, uh, you're in the trade also. And I was just, why the f-, f me? Now I'm frustrated. And it's like, yeah, you got to be in a plane a couple hours of bomber. You're meeting Toronto and Minnesota. And, and uh, that's kind of where I ended up in Toronto that year. So it was a long year. I was pretty happy to see the season end. And and uh, yeah, I was at a golf tournament in Toronto that summer. They always had the bell mobility, I think. Vivers probably there. I think I played with 32 of the 34 guys that were at the tournament that year. Like a bunch of guys, <laughs> bunch of guys come up from Buffalo. They're all the crew from Toronto that live or whatever. Winnipeg guys. It was just every time you're down a hole, you're talking, Hey, how's it going? Good to see you. You know, like you're just like everybody was there. But yeah, it was a crazy year and and uh away you go. Yeah, it's uh I remember one year in Toronto, we had 49 guys in our lineup in one season, which was absolutely insane. Like, I mean, it was like a revolving door. I mean, guys were coming up, yeah. up, guys were getting traded, guys, oh, it was crazy. Yeah. Now, Dave, talk about the experience in Toronto. You're from outside of the city, but you must have known how this team, the regard this team is held in around the area and Leaf Nation. And when you came in and you put that jersey over your head, was it as you expected being a Maple Leaf? Uh, you know what? I'll be honest. I really, you really notice it when you leave Toronto after playing there, yep. right? Um, and people in Southwestern Ontario, there's so many Leaf fans, and everywhere you go, and whether you're, you know, Rick Vive or myself, they know real fans know everybody that played on that team. Um, it was special. One place it ended the, the season. It ended well. I got to play in Toronto and uh, I grew up watching them. You're correct. Uh, I knew all these guys and watched Rick and so on the older players. And um, it, it was special. Uh, the next year it was, it was going okay. I ended up uh, kind of in and out of the lineup, scored some goals, but uh, it was, it was tough, but we had a good team. So you just kind of try to be that good, good teammate. And uh, we ended up having a good run in the playoffs. I only played, I think it was four games out of the 21. So, um, yeah, I wish it had the ice, as, as everybody, you want more ice time and wanted to contribute more than uh, what you could. But when you're called upon, you just kind of had to fill in that role. Um, how did Europe come about? Well, it was, um, how'd that go? I ended up going to Ottawa in the waiver draft there a couple of years. The last couple of years, uh, what happened? I, I signed with the Islanders and, um, I said, if you're going to send me down, can you send me to Cleveland? I played there before. I kind of know it. And that year I was, I ended up at the Islanders maybe three weeks to a month, but mainly in, in Cleveland, we had a good team. Um, so it was fun. Then uh, you could kind of see it was going to be tough to try and uh, get another contract or be up and down. And the IHL, they were actually play, paying pretty good, but Europe was a situation that my agent always thought I would do well over there. Um, so I ended up signing to, to go over to Germany. My, uh, I guess I was 30 at the time. And yeah, I, I can honestly say I didn't love it my first year. Um, because I think you're, you have to really immerse yourself in the, into the game yeah. and the culture. And, and it's a big change, whether you play the games played the same, but there's a lot of differences, bigger ice, the schedule is different. You practice a lot more, you wanted to play more. And, um, so, and I was kind of thinking, well, will I get to go back? Is there an opportunity to go back? So you're kind of one foot in, one foot out. I still uh, played okay. So it wasn't that, that situation. But um, the next year we ended up having an opportunity to go to uh, Bern, Switzerland. And after that, you get there and you're kind of like, okay, I'm going to be here. I can play here. And, and you just got to, like I said, make the best of it and you got to enjoy it and have the right mindset, but you, you still have to play. It's not yep. an easy game over there. Um, there's many good players over there. So what happens a lot of guys do come over and think it's easy and then they're gone by Christmas time. So it's, you got to have the right attitude and, and play hard like you would anywhere else. Well, talk to that Dave, like, okay. 
for people that don't understand, I think when you went over, there was a limit of what, two imports per team maybe? Yeah, well, honestly, my first year, it, it really opened up. Um, they were in, it was a DEL at the time, you're able to have 16 imports. And oh. so I was over there, there was Mark Lamb, Dean Evison, Mike Bullard, Gino Cavallini, uh, Greg Brown. We had a lot of guys, good team. Um, that, and so that was fine. But then I went to Switzerland where you're right, we're only allowed three imports. Mm-hmm. So in Switzerland, there's a little more, you could never do enough Switzerland. Like it was, you, you, and it went well there, but uh, still at the end, uh, I needed players to play with. I'm not like a guy that some over there could go end to end and, and score a goal. It's um, maybe it wasn't the flashiest, but you, you get a point a game. It still wasn't enough, but the opportunity come to go to, to Cologne, Germany and ended up there for nine years. Just a great situation. Um, brand new arena at the time, 18,000 practice ranks. So this is close to North American as you could get, but they slowly started taking the imports away. So I think by the end we had 10 or 11 um, just because it started to hurt the German hockey is development of some of their players. So um, I think that's where it's at now over there. So you did have some imports, uh, whether they're Swedish or Czech or Canadian, American, whatever it may be. Well, uh, what I guess what I'm trying to get at with that is that if you don't perform to what their expectations are, because you're an import, you're gone. Oh, yeah. 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 They're always looking. You're always wondering who's coming in and you got to play well or you're fired. I mean, yeah, yeah. just simple as that. Well, yeah. And uh, the earlier, I'm a little older than you guys, but in the days when guys are going to Europe in my era, they'd get points bonuses in their contracts. And what they would do is they'd get sat. So if the team got up, they'd get sad so they couldn't reach those goals. And then they'd say to them, at the end of the year, well, you haven't performed, so we're not yeah. renewing you. Yeah, well, that, that's a couple double-edged sword there because they want they don't want to look bad, but I'm sure it happened. There was some shady stuff over there for sure. But, uh, yeah, you got to perform or it's, it's done. I always tell the story, and Mike Johnson will tell you this story. He came over to play in Cologne with uh, – uh, Todd Warner and I were last two years in, in Cologne together. And he said, well, I, Mike Johnson, I think he'd come over. So we got brought Mike over, but Mike was that guy. I was like, uh, when's the next break? Uh, when can we go skiing? And like, he just, <laughs> he wasn't fully immersed into it. And they got rid of him by Christmas time, unfortunately. Like it was, uh, and I like Mike and he could have helped us, but just mentally wasn't prepared there. Yeah. Now talk about uh, the fans. Uh, the fans oh, are crazy. crazy. I played for really good talent, like uh, Bern, Switzerland. They have, everyone will talk about that if you go there. There's a couple exhibition games there this year with the NHL. Um, there, probably fourteen thousand people get in there. Cologne was eighteen thousand. I think we averaged maybe thirteen and a half, fourteen. Certain games would be sold out with a derby game against Dusseldorf or something like a Toronto Montreal game yeah. playoffs. So. The fans are they're banging drums, singing an hour before. It's like <laughs> soccer. You listen, watch soccer. It's, yeah, yeah. it's the same. Um, they had the two ends in Cologne. They would always stand, and the other seats around like normal. But uh, they had chants going from warm up to right to the end. Like they were passionate <laughs> hockey fans, and it was an experience. But you leave there, and like friends come over, whoever they were like leave with a headache. Like if you're not used to <laughs> it, it's loud and uh, it's a party. Oh now, wow! Well, how about the how about the advertising on the on the sweaters? Like I'm looking at those pictures. Oh going, God, yeah. You know, like what is that? Like that looks like a, a walking billboard, basically. A, yeah, a skating billboard is what it was. But that's kind of how they were able to pay us, right? Like the, they sold that advertisement every space they were they could put something that uh, they would they could make money off of. Um, like we got the grocery store there. There's a beer on there. There's uh, the Toyota's <laughs> our car. Um, Ryan energy is a energy thing. Not even like you don't have your logo a little bit there. And then, uh, insurance company on the, on the helmets. I remember in Switzerland, they put these stickers on our skates, but, or on our skates, on our sticks. Finally, like we can't put these here. It's like where your hand goes. And they thought, well, we'll just stick one on a stick. Well, you know what you're like is that we're fussy with our sticks. So that didn't last too long. So, um, (laughs) if there was a spot, they put it on. Hey, yeah, the they've, started, that too. they've started that in the NHL now. Yeah, so yeah a little bit. Teams. I think a little bit isn't Do you bad. think like it'll ever get even close to what they have in Europe? I 
don't think so because I think they can make so much money on their on their boards and the way they digitalize the boards now. They're changing those all the time. Yeah. And now before they switch them in the period, which some they do still, but some boards are digital. These newer rinks that they're putting everyone. If you look the next commercial, it's different. Well, so that's why the, the TV does that. Right. Or, or the, the team, whoever it is, but I don't think I like the classic um, jerseys now. Yeah. You see the milk on there. It's not too bad or the helmets, what a TikTok, whatever they get on. It's a little bit subtle that's not too bad who knows how much they're gonna go but i think that it's pretty classic to leave it the way it is i I think think you're i think you're right i actually absolutely agree with you but on the other hand if that cap keeps going up and gets close to 100 million they're going to have to find different ways to make more money make more revenue you're right you're right who knows never say never we didn't think anything would be on there but now there is well there'll be more betting sites yeah exactly That, uh, Dave, something about the European game that would surprise the listeners. Well, I told these people ask me, they say it's so fast and, and this and that, bigger ranks. Uh, but I find it kind of slows the game down because a lot of times you just come back to the middle and everyone's outside. You're flipping it around on the outside, but not really penetrating the middle as much. Um, I found you beat a guy out of the corner. Well, another guy can buy it because it's farther from the corner or the boards to get to the net where our rinks over here with the 85 feet wide you take a step off it's a shot where there you're another eight feet back if you want to shoot from there so in a way it, it looks bigger bigger players i i i like the rink the way it is and i hope i think they're not going to change i think they're changing over there to get back to like our rinks is what i yeah have read um yeah, so it looks guys that skate around, but they're skating around the outside doing a lot of nothing, right? Like it's, and you can't really jump at guys because if you do, they just go by it, right? So it's, there's so much room. Um, happy medium in the middle, maybe. I don't, I don't know. So now life as a Canadian playing on some of these clubs, how is that? Like, are there any perks for you, like restaurants and stuff like that? Well, they, they do look after us, right? We get, uh, you know, you show up, you have your car, your apartment, all that stuff is paid for. Um, it is, everyone thinks it's tax-free. Somebody pays a tax on your salary, and that's usually the team because then they have these, they can write this stuff off. Um, they just have to show the taxes is paid somewhere. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I claimed in, in Canada, keep things straight. Um, just that you got to make sure enough tax was taken off. So it's, it's pretty simple, pretty straight up. There was some shady stuff when I first went over there in years, but I think everybody started cleaning it up because they were, they were getting checked and audited and all this stuff. So it's, it's pretty, pretty much by the book now. Now, what about the socializing amongst the players? Were the players good like that? Well, when you had all these guys The guys were great. I found Switzerland a little different. They were tough to get in, but at the time I, um, I was married, my wife, we didn't have kids. So we were going out a lot. So we were with them a lot and we actually got in their circles. They involved us in a lot of their events or family stuff. Um, so I think if you're going socializing, they are in the, in Germany, I think there were so many imports. Everyone was just one. It worked out fine. And yeah. the communication was pretty good. All younger people speak English um, just because that's what they learn in school. Uh, we were, I, I was a little stubborn at the start and eventually I went to school, uh, you know, year five. I just kept thinking I wasn't going to be there that long and I could pick a little bit up, but I couldn't, it, I wasn't picking anything up and eventually went to school and got the basics and the numbers and just, you could communicate. I, my verbs were all over the place, but they did, as long as you put in an effort to try to speak, uh, they were happy with, yeah, with that. That was like me when I went to Sherbrooke when I was 17 trying to learn French and it was like very, very difficult. And yeah, the ironic thing about that is, is that in June 8th, I'll be going into the Quebec major junior league hall of fame. Oh, nice. Congrats. Yeah. Thanks. And there's seven other guys going in and they're all French. Uh, well, <laughs> so you I'm going better... to be the only guy speaking it. Thank God it's in Sherbrooke because it's in the Eastern townships where there's a lot of English people. So yeah. maybe that'll help me. Yeah, well, good luck in that French speaking. Make sure you get some video of that. Well, I'm going to have to have one last paragraph will be in French. I'll have to go to Danny LaHue's house for 
probably about four days in a row to figure out how to. Yeah, that, that'd be a good, uh, good ending for sure. Well, I remember the Seinfeld episode where Kramer, uh, what's his face? Newman stands behind Kramer telling him what to say. Maybe you get Dandy stand behind you, hide behind you, can mouth his words. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Good idea. Now, uh, David, just got a couple minutes left at the end. You've been uh, great so far to, to spend this time with us. Um, some of the leaders you play, but besides Mario, guys like Paul Coffey, Dale Howardchuk, and another guy that we've spoken about many times who we are just shocked he's not in the Hockey Hall of Fame, Pierre Turgeon. Talk about playing with those guys and what made them so special. Uh, well, I think there, I was fortunate to play with many great players. Uh, you mentioned many there. Um, and I think uh, Viral say the same. One guy that was underrated, I don't even, not underrated, maybe just didn't get noticed as much was Dale Howardchuk. And mm -hmm. uh, great teammate, great guy on and off the ice. But he was very deceptive. Didn't seem like a great skater, but he was still fast and he had hands like like a magician, like he was so, so good. Um, you learn different things from him, how to conduct yourself, carry yourself. Um, but there was a lot of guys that you looked at as leaders and what you could take from different guys being a young guy, just whether they were third or fourth line, just kind of becoming a professional. And, um, you know, even in Toronto the year I didn't, I was still 24 or five and we had an older team. You still kind of pick up different stuff from different guys. And I went to Ottawa and was one of the older guys the next year. So you try to take what you have and learn and try to pass it on. And then we had the younger team coming into Ottawa with Alexander Dagg and Yashin, which, you know, it kind of helped Alexi along the way. And he was 18. And, and uh, so, yeah, there's, I think you, you had to pick up stuff from, from all of them, all great players. Like you said, Pierre Turgeon, just special first, was he uh, the second overall? I think he was, but either could have went first him and Shanny. But um, yeah, there's you just learn. Everyone's got a special talent, and and you whether how it can imply into your game or on ice, off ice, whatever you could take. That's what you did. It's great. So a lot of kids coming in at 18 years old. I'm sure you probably no. Yeah, you would have played with guys 18. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I mean, some of them come in and they play well, but you look at the Shane Wright situation right now where, you know, he's not playing hardly at all in Seattle. Then he gets sent to the American League for a conditioning stint, which likely will lead him going to the World Juniors more than likely. Yeah. Uh, would you like to see the rules change so that a Canadian kid, if he's drafted in the first round, can be sent to the minors and play in the American League? Do you think that would help? A lot of players. Uh, if if they totally exhausted the uh, the junior level that they can't play there anymore, like he's been there what four years already, right? Like if he went mm -hmm. back to junior, like he came in as was he an exempted kid, like or that? Yes, guy? he was. Yeah, right. So yeah. he was. He's been there a long time, and can he develop anymore, or do you just kind of get complacent? I think certain situations it would. I think it'd be okay to put them in the minors or. And I think it had a lot to do with different guys' personalities too. Like some guys can mm -hmm. handle that 18-year-old role um, and some guys can't. They got to be patient and know that this it could be a bit of a growing part of a year. But even you look back at uh, Joe Thornton there, he came in as an 18-year-old but didn't really light it up or wasn't on fire till later on. And it takes sometimes guys to develop and mature and all that stuff. But I think it would be a great thing in American league. They can hone their skills down there and, and play that maybe not the highest level, but still a good level other than junior, like you said. Well, they're going to play a lot more too. They're going to play in all yeah. situations. And cause right now, if you're a European player, you could, you can go to the American league at 18 yeah. years old or 19 years old, but yeah. a guy like Wright, who, yeah, like I say, sense. You know, I mean, it doesn't make sense to me why there's two different rules for the different mm -hmm. players. I know they're trying to project junior hockey more than likely, but yeah. here's a kid who played four years already uh, or five, whatever the heck it is. I mean, they should allow him being picked as high as he was to go play and get his game back playing in the American Hockey League. Yeah. Maybe they could throw in if, if you're a first rounder, you could. Well, that's um, what I mean. Yeah. yeah. A second rounder, they think they well, we won't send the American. That would hurt the junior. But if there's the odd 
first rounder that could benefit from it. I think everyone else should go back to junior and, and there's not that many yeah. can make this, this step at 18 anyway, like that. Yeah. yeah. That would be a good, that'd be a good role. If you're a first rounder or if, or if you've right. played so many games of junior to, right. to get over the hurdle, you know, yeah. if you've played a hundred games or whatever, whatever the number is, 180 games and you, you can make the jump, but that first round, we've talked about this a lot because you know, the, the development rights a perfect example. But well, they're not playing. Of, well, they're circumventing is... the rules slightly because they're going to allow this center for a two-week conditioning stint to the American Hockey League, yeah. and that's going to come up right a week before Team Canada. So it looks like that's kind of the plan. Right. I think they were smart that way. And that's a good play. move. Yeah. And by the way, the team's playing very good, so it's not like he's playing well, on a lousy team and not playing. Yeah. No, that's true. But at the same time, you're 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 what was he fourth or fifth overall? I mean. You can't play on that on, on a second-year team in the National Hockey League. I, I know they're playing well, but, you know, come on. You, you think he could, but maybe just that's a big jump. And Yeah. Or, like is said, coach, is, or is that the coach maybe trying to save his job by not well, playing a, a less experienced guy over a more experienced guy? Yes. I'm well, sure there's a lot, lot of factors. A lot of factors. <laughs> well, listen, guys, uh, Dave, I want to thank you so much for uh, joining us. Um, Thanks, Mike. Been great today. Great stories. We'll see you around the rink, I guess, at some point. Squid? Absolutely. Absolutely. I All guess right, I'll Squid. see you on Thursday. See you Thursday night. Yeah. We're in the Easter Shield circuit. Yeah. That's great. And keep up the great work, guys. Okay. Okay. And anyway, right, thanks, Dave, thanks, thanks for joining us. Yep.